Will. I just realised just as we hit record that I haven't figured out what we could talk about as a preamble. That's usually something that I put some effort into, but I feel like for this episode, I'm going to do nothing. Because the episode we were planning to do, we're not doing. It's not even not the episode that we're planning to do. The episode that we did. The episode that we did, yeah. Yes. Best death scene. R.I.P. best death scene. R.I.P. That'll do as a preamble. There we go. <laughs> okay. The best bit. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. You are stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes, usually. This is your co-host Kevin, a writer of One and a Bit Films, and I am joined as... I as... as because it's unusual, that's thrown me off. Bare minimum, Will. Bare minimum. Not even going to edit it. Good. Just going to keep it in. That's it. I am joined by a writer of three films, plus a Christmas special and a Star Wars, Will Collins. Hello, you. It's me. How are you? I'm very well, me. Excellent, you. <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, this is upon thee. <laughs> well, look, let's get straight into it so we can get rid of all the necessaries. We recorded an episode for Best Death Scene. We had a guest on that episode. The guest microphone wasn't working as well as we hoped, and we had some issues with the third-party software that we were using to group the recording together myself and will our audio was fine we were able to cobble together a smattering of like things that we spoke about Mm -hmm. which we i don't know should we put that on the main feed do you think we can just like put that out as like an extra thingamajig no it is for patreon content it's patreon content it's paywall baby if you want to listen to that it's not paywall i put it up free i said anyone could have a listen to it because it was meant to be one of our main shows it's patreon baby no idea what okay. we're talking about. Well, <laughs> it's out there somewhere. You can find us. Will's put his foot down and he said, fuck he. <laughs> no, we lost that recording. It was a really good chat. We were gutted about that. I was gutted. Yeah. But we think it's such a good topic that we put it back in the wheel. And we think that if we get another chance to do it, that we will we'll take another crack at it. And we'll get something to put out there. Because it's one of the great, you know podcast topics are 100% scene topics for us yeah 100% I think it will give us we'll have to kind of put some time between us and that recording so we kind of forget what we said so we can just kind of like rediscover it for ourselves and who knows we might have a whole new set of picks for uh, the next future recording so that episode was gone yeah left us with a major hole we thought right will we pull one of the future episodes forward because we threw to patrons and we got the patrons a couple of weeks back to choose an episode for you to do and an episode for me to do and we gave them a load of options so we know what the next two episodes are going to be after death scenes your episode and my episode Mm. we just didn't have enough time to prep for that episode because there's like you want to be able to watch those films so Mm -hmm. we asked our discord guys fucking degenerates the group that we have over there have joined us from our Patreon. And Lara came up with a brilliant suggestion that I immediately got excited about because I thought, oh, good. I get to learn something about Will 
that I don't know, and he gets to learn something about me, hopefully, and we get to talk about films that we never would normally talk about and we haven't talked about so far, and that's Guilty Pleasures. I'm so excited for this topic, actually. As soon as it was suggested, I went, that's good. That's good. Because do you know what? I went and said to myself, how am I going to find my guilty pleasure? And so what I ended up doing was I went on to Letterboxd and I went on to the tab where you can see all the films, which is close to a million films that are registered on there. It's not quite a million, but it's close to a million. And I just went search by all films lowest average rating first. And I started at the very bottom. Are you going with films that are unloved? Yeah, I went with films that had really, well, not always, but I let it guide me. Films that had a really low average rating. And when I saw them having a really low average rating, I put them onto a long list. Things that I went, oh, oh. actually, I, I actually like that film. And then I looked at that long list and I went, hang on a second. So which ones of these have I actually felt shamed for liking? I have been shamed for liking at some stage. <laughs> I'm looking forward yes. to this. So each one of my picks have had, have had been specifically shamed by an individual for saying that I like it. Well, this is going to be a shame-free zone. No matter what you say, I'm not going to have any, like, negative reaction to. I don't think... Welcome to the best bits. Films are fun. Because I'll tell you, I had to take a step back and think to myself, hang on a second now. I love this topic, but I don't know if I believe in the concept of guilty pleasures because there are no films out there that I genuinely like that I'm ashamed to like them. I've loads of guilty pleasures when it comes to music. You'd have to pry my iPod out of my hands. Right. I'd be mortified, but in terms of crystal swing. films, no crystal swing. No crystal swing. No. Oh wow. That's cultural cringe for me. Just in there. I'm in their Patreon. That's all I'm saying. Continue. Well, because here's the thing, right? I wrote Grabbers. Woo! Grabbers is going to be for some people. It's going to be their guilty pleasure film. I see. I'm right in that sweet spot of like writing the stuff that is ridiculous, fanciful, silly, and sincere, and almost you know bordering on, um, I don't know, bordering on dumb. <laughs> bordering on dumb. And I love that. It's not dumb, Kevin. And anyone like anyone who who would watch, I think anyone who would actually watch Grabbers would, and and properly like it knows that it's 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 a quality film um but on the surface on if you were to look at the the title and the the concept you go oh this is one of those guilty yeah you know what you mean it's a guilty pleasure on its surface but it's not it's a it's a it's a very good film Kevin. i went to an event and god what was it it was at bafta and i think it was something like the irish abroad you know the way they do those community get-togethers of Irish filmmakers. Well, you probably wouldn't notice, but in London they have sort of a... Um, oh, God, I can't even remember what it was called, but it, it'd be like... Irish film community. Irish film community, board. they have it in LA, they, they had it in London. Right. And I went along to one, and it was just around the time that Grabbers had come out. Mm-hmm. And somebody introduced me to another person at the party. You know, everyone's getting their canopies and their flutes of champagne and whatever. And you're all milling about and going like, oh, where are you from? And what have you done? And and then somebody introduced me to some other fella. And, you know, he's the kind that would wear like a silk scarf around his neck mm-hmm. while indoors. Yeah. And <laughs> they said, this is Kevin. He wrote the film Grabbers. 
uh, what's it about? And I said, you know, it, it's about a, a group of Irish people who get caught up in a storm while the island's been invaded by blood-sucking monsters and they realise the only way to survive is to get drunk and have a lock-in. And uh, it's a comedy. Yeah. And the disgust <laughs> on this person's face. <laughs> and it was so damning. Yeah. Like, he literally flared his nostrils and looked down at me. And I felt like a tramp that had walked in. And I just thought, I am not amongst friends here. This is not my community. So... You started a podcast. Because... Yeah, I did. And it's a roaring success. <laughs> and um, and because I wrote Grabbers, I realized that that is in the realm of guilty pleasures. And then when I was looking through the kinds of films that are on other people's lists as guilty pleasures, they're some of my favorite, favorite films. Yeah. So... Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I, I could. There's, there's a certain, there's a certain type of film which people call guilty pleasures. I'm like going, no, that's just a good film. That's just. But I'd, so, I, I, how did you work out? I, I described how I went and kind of like fashioned my list. How did you rationalize your list? I went for films that that goal at the BAFTA event would turn his nose up at. <laughs> well, I thought we put some parameters on this yeah. where we list just five each. Very good. But I'll tell you right. A couple that I think would qualify, but I'm not going to bring them up because we've mentioned them before. Right. And one of them is one that we watched together with Pierce, yeah, and it was Stone Cold. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Bosworth. You know, all my life people have had the wrong idea about me. I don't like cops who make up the rules as they go. They say I push things just a little too far. <laughs> they accuse me of being insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> They basically say that I lack the ability to get along with others. So just to prove these people wrong, I decided to join a very exclusive and private club. Oh yes, it's very plush. And the membership? Very select. And games. <laughs> we play some games. Mr. Brian Bosworth requests the pleasure of your company, Stone Cold. And I would definitely have put that on my guilty pleasures list. Yeah. Because I had such a ball discovering that film. It was such a, I would love to have discovered that film in isolation because we watched that film as a group. And listen to me, that is the best way to watch this film with some, with some friends. And you say, well, well let's watch this one together because it is batshit crazy and it's just a, a fun fun time it really was it's such a fun time that would be a guilty pleasure maybe i should have put it on my list some other ones freddie got fingered that was on my honorable mentions list but i have brought that up before okay uh, a new one that just came out that you've not seen but i recommended to you right is a new film by larry charles who did borat and you know he co-created curb your enthusiasm and it's dick's the musical yes. and I'm going to drop a trailer in here for this because that film is obnoxious and it's deranged and it's hilarious this is Craig Tittle thanks doll and this is Trevor Brock you have a good day my cock is fucking massive it always leaves the ladies sore Money just keeps rolling in The good times never stop There's never been a man like me And I'll always be on top Craig Tittle, Trevor Brock My two top salesmen You two motherfuckers look like y'all could be twins You're emphatic 
recommendation texts for that film put it made me put it on my watch list and I'm going to seek it out as soon as possible who knows it might become an Oscar screener it might be on my Oscar screeners do you think it might be an Oscar screener I thing? very much doubt it okay. this is one of those films right that if I was an exhibition and I recommended it to people they'd fire the fucking tape back at me when they came back in to drop it back <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's a film that you watch you have a ball watching it and then you just keep it to yourself you just don't tell anybody about it because yeah, okay. no one else is going to enjoy it but there's a scene in the film when Nathan, <laughs> so basically, it's a remake of the Parent Trap. You know, the Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan. That well, that was a remake in itself. But yeah. there are identical twins that don't look alike. But you're meant to believe it because they believe it. They just think they both look like the spitting image, and they don't look anything like each other. Right. And they realize that they were split up on birth. One went to live with their dad, and one went to live with their mom. And they've never met each other, and they've never met the other parent. And they're desperate to find out who the other parent is. So they basically swap lives. They put on a wig, and they, they go visit their parents. One of the parents is played by Megan Mullally, and she's 95 years of age, and she's in a wheelchair, and she's deranged. And the other one is Nathan Lane, and he has just come out as gay. I'm gay. What the fuck, Dad? You're gay? Well, I was hoping for a little more enthusiasm, but yes, Craig, I'm gay. Queer is a three dollar bill and just as thin. And he is telling all this to his son, who he thinks is his real son that he's raised, but it's the other guy. <laughs> but then he he tells him that he has these sewer boys. It's <laughs> like sewer boys, and he breaks into song and he reveals these caged, ghoulie like rat babies that he's in love with, that he loves them so much, and they're disgusting. The sewer boys drink blood for fun and also read my mind. Don't get in a tizzy, my dear. It's a gay old life being queen. It's fucking hilarious. But no one, I think, is going to like it as much as I liked it when I was watching it. But I'm desperate for you at least to watch it. I'm. It's it's right up my alley. It's a certain type of stupid funny that I uh, that I might really enjoy. So it's definitely something I'm going to check out as soon as it's available, and when it's on when it's doing the Oscar circuit and they're looking for best musical number. It's one of those comedies, right? And it's the type of comedy that really makes me laugh and I try to do it to you on the podcast every so often it's where you're shocked at what just happened that it takes you a second to react and then you just laugh harder than you've ever laughed because the audacity to do it and the shock value it's just um and the stupidity it's like what I said when we were doing the spoof episodes it's like being a kid in school and trying to make your friends laugh and it's that schoolboy humor that can be so so funny because it's so juvenile and dumb it's right on the edge. It's 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 right on the edge of like being obnoxious, either hilariously funny or obnoxious and irritating. It's great. So that's my honourable mentions. Do you have any honourable mentions before you get into your list? Oh yeah, I have an, a couple of honourable mentions. Um, as I said, when I was first formulating my long list, I came across like some really low rated films and I just went, no, fuck that shit. That film's not that bad. So this is like, on average, people hated it. The okay. first one I came came across is a film that we both reviewed and we both liked. And it's a film that came out last year. Halloween Ends. I'm going to kill you, Jeremy! Ah! 
What was that? There's a lot, like a lot, a lot of hate for that film. They did because it did something that was breaking the formula, and it told a story that almost could be independent of the Halloween franchise. And that's what I appreciated. That's what mm-hmm. I genuinely enjoyed, and the fact that there was substance there. It wasn't just yeah. a mindless Jason Voorhees hack and slash film. There was substance. But yeah, I I'm glad you liked that as well. I really like that. Another one that was way down there, which I w- felt a little bit incredulous about, was a, a family comedy that came out in like the early 2000s, around 2002. A British comedy called Thunderpants. Is that the Ron Weasley fact movie? Yeah. Get ready for a film that will blow you away. Ten. Starring Rupert Grint from Harry Potter. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Nine. And introducing Bruce Cook. Well, look at who's fault. As Patrick Smash. Eight. In an incredible story. Thunderpants. Seven. Of a boy. Six. With a unique gift. Five. You're going to be a spaceman. Four. And one. Three. Big. Two. Three. One. But a boy who's got an amazing ability to break winds, which leads him to like fame and fortune and, and into space because he's got farts are incredibly powerful. I From thought that film was delightfully silly, but it's but colorful and uh, it just had a kind of a I don't know a nice storybook aesthetic and just really, really, really silly, uh, silly core. Concept. It was like a Rodal story. That he wrote while Langer's drunk. Yeah, that's what it felt like. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for that, for that quality. We're just, just went, ah, let's, just, let's go with this silly farting boy story. That's good. So, okay. those are a couple. Those are a couple of my honor, honorable mentions. Well, do you want to go first with your list or will I go first? Well, you go first because I've spoken so much. Okay, well, I'm going to start. Okay, my list is in, how am I, I don't even know how I, created my I don't know how, how I kind of like listed ordered my list right mine are not in order of least of favourite either they're just like five this is them yeah. this is them and I think the, the, my number one is one where I genuinely have a real true affection for and have a reason for but my first one here that's on the list is a film that came out in 1998 directed by one George Miller it's a sequel to a huge hit film and it is Babe Pig in the City His kindness, his courage, his wisdom, his pigness is back. That'll do a pig. With kindness and courage, we loved his charm. A heart of gold. Now babe and friends are going This Thanksgiving, Universal Pictures invites you to leave your world behind. Babe, pig in the city. Whatever the pig says, goes. I've never seen Babe, pig in the city. Have you ever even seen Babe? I have seen Babe, and I thought Babe was very, very sweet and enjoyable. Okay, great. So, Babe, Pig in the City. 
picks up the story a couple of months after the 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 very sweet like you know victory at the sheep herding contest in the original babe and in this we see farmer hoggett becoming injured and unable to work and babe has to go to the big city in order to save the farm and he is followed by mrs hoggett and they find themselves in this kind of a dark fairy tale land of all these metropolitans so it feels like grimy new york and london and paris and it's kind of like an almost a delicatessian Jean-Paul Jeunet. Is it like a magical realism type film? Yeah, a little bit magical realism. And Babe and is is there basically on a quest to save the farm. But he ends up, it's kind of like him falling in with a punk band. Okay. They end up staying in this hotel filled with down and out animals who are cynical. They've just been kicked around in life. There's a mafia-like Pitbull Terrier, there's a family of chimpanzees, there's there's just a whole menagerie of kind of like... And they're all living in a hotel? They're all living in a kind of a, a, a rough kind of hotel, kind of an apartment building. And and there's a, an ensemble of characters who live in this apartment building. One is a sad clown played by Mickey Rooney who doesn't talk. He's a strange recluse, really. There's another woman who hates animals and just wants all the animals taken, or she actually lives across the way. This film has a quality about it. First of all, it's it's written and directed by George Miller. It's weird for him to come on board and do a sequel that he, he wasn't a part of the original. He was a part of the original. He co-wrote oh, he produced the, it, didn't he? He produced and co-wrote the original screenplay. Hmm. Yeah, George Miller has always had one foot in the world of family movies, you know, with animated Happy movies and feet, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, he's produced an awful lot of that sort of stuff. Uh, Not to derail well you, but one thing I do remember from the time that it came out, because... I would have been 17 when this film came out, so I wasn't really going to go see it at the cinema. But uh, I remember just critics giving it a hard time because it was very violent. And I wasn't sure whether I was up for watching an animal in Jeopardy film. I don't see it as being very violent. I, I think it was just it was just darker. It just had this tone like the, the other animals or characters that have been kicked around, kicked around in life. And Babe comes in like Jimmy Stewart... It's almost like the Bedford Falls, you know, everything goes to shit in a wonderful life section where it's not Bedford Falls, it's Pottersville or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But but Babe comes in, this upbeat, chipper character, kind of like, golly gee, you know, gee whiz. And all the other characters are turning around going, kid, you suck it up for God's sake, you know. He's a shining light coming into this very dark collection of characters. And I think that's actually a lovely mix. It's a really lovely mix. And Babe does, as inevitably, he kind of restores this place and gives everyone a reason to feel joy in the world and all that sort of stuff. I feel like, as you're saying that, that the Paddington Bear movies would have been heavily inspired by the Babe films. Oh, I was actually thinking of Paddington Bear. It's like, this film is like the scene in Paddington 2 where Paddington goes to prison. That's kind of what Babe, Babe Pig in the City is like. Oh, and that was brilliant. That was one that I resisted watching and then yeah. fucking loved it. Yeah, so I am going to say, I think Babe Pig in the City is an underrated film. And why I'm saying it's on my guilty pleasure is because I was made feel shame for saying I really like that film. Someone actually just, I said, oh, I really like Babe Pig in the City. By your mum. And it wasn't my <laughs> mum, but it was someone who had that just real contempt for saying what? Like, it was like I almost vomited on them or something like that. I was like, what? Felix! Felix! 
Let go, Freelick! The most tiresome people are the people that define themselves by what they hate rather than what they love. Yes, yes, that's a, and I, that's not a, that's not a good way to, to live life. The film came no. out to very, very mixed poor reviews. It was a financial flop, but Siskel and Ebert both loved it. Ebert gave it four out of four stars, or whatever. Two thumbs up. Uh, they both their individual reviews. They got got um, high praise from them, but from a lot of other people. It's kind of smashed. But I think it's gained a bit of a cult following over the years. It's really, I think it's really delightful I actually do think it's a worthy sequel I'm gonna watch it definitely yeah convince me because of Paddington Bear 2 or Paddington 2 that comp is a good one I think Paddington when he's in prison. It's big babe. Babe goes to the um to the seedy city and brings light. Brings a shining light there. That's what he does. And he's got he's got a choke, he's got like a, a choke collar. He's got like a collar with like spikes on it and stuff like like you know those like um heavy metal choke choke uh choke collars. Yeah, like a punk band would wear. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, it's the punk version. What about you, Kevin? What's your first proper guilty pleasure? Okay, so My Guilty Pleasure is a film that I've not revisited since when I first saw it. And I think I was working in a video shop. I was working in ExtraVision. It came out in 2000. I took it home. I watched it twice, I think, one weekend before I brought it back. Because the film felt like a bam. It was so sweet and steady. And it felt like... It had a great atmosphere. It was a period film, but it was set in, you know, those balmy summers where you can hear the crickets going and the sway of the grass. And it took a lot of heat at the time. And I'm not sure what your take on it would be because I'm not even sure you may have seen it. But it was directed by Robert Redford and it starred Matt Damon, Charlize Theron and Will Smith. And it was The Legend of Bagger Vance. Maybe I better come back when you're not so busy. Busy? Well, I thought you were going to say drunk. The fact is, there's enough whiskey in the state of Georgia to get me drunk enough. <laughs> well, how drunk is drunk enough? It's all a matter of brain cells. You see, every drink of liquor you take kills a thousand brain cells. And first the sadness cells die, so you smile real big. <laughs> And then the quiet cells go, so you just say everything real loud for no reason at all. (laughs) And finally come the memory cells. These are tough to kill. We need someone from Savannah in the match. Who's that? I could have killed you out there. Oh, no, sir. See, I set myself directly in front of you. Judging by how you was hitting them balls, I figured that's why I'd be out of harm's way. Bagavan's the name. You lost your swing. We got to go find him. I heard my dad tell how you won every tournament there ever was. The journey you was, you ain't never gonna be again. Ever. You don't know a damn thing about me. Ten years and not one single solitary word from you? You don't do that to someone you love. It was too long ago. No, it wasn't. This is becoming embarrassing. Oh, no, sir. 
It's been embarrassing for quite some time now. I can't do this. Yes, you can. This isn't your shot, Bagger. Nope. It's yours. There's some storm we're brewing. What was it, Adele? What did you like about us? I like the way we danced. Inside each and every one of us is something that's ours and ours alone. Was there something you wished to discuss? Because this might not be the right time to... felt a man's grip on his club just like a man's grip on his world. Oh, I think I have seen a bit of this film on a really small TV and wanted, and I only got the end of it, but I, I actually just went, oh, I wish I kind of saw the rest of that. So I've never seen it from beginning to end. I guess it's, it's one of those films that I've said this many, many times on the podcast now. It's starting to become a bit repetitive even for me. But I love matinee films, and you don't see them as much anymore, but they're the films that you can just put on on a Sunday or a lazy afternoon, and they spin a yarn, and that's all they do. And you end right. up just feeling like you're, you're taking on a lovely little detour, a sojourn with these characters, and things end up working out well in the end because of the good nature of the characters or the lessons, the life lessons that they've learned. And you just feel like, you just feel like somebody's giving you a grandfatherly pat on the back and everything's going to be all right. And it's... You've got a Werther's original in your mouth. Exactly. And this is definitely a Werther's original kind of film. It's, um, it's all vibe and mood. I'll tell you one of the things that I got criticism for and I don't know whether it's just you know, unconscious bias and not being aware of it. But Will Smith in it plays the trope of like the magical Negro, the character who is like an angel. They're an angel in disguise. And Matt Damon is a golfer who is in a a series of tournaments at this rich country club. Charlie Theron is one of the high society girls and uh, he is striking out on the golf course and with her. And it's a love story about how the two of them came together through the gentle guidance of the Will Smith character who was his caddy and Mm. pretty much that's all it is there's you know undertones of you know racism and segregation in the south and stuff but uh it's just a lovely folksy sports film that is quite philosophical and has like hints of magical realism in it that I I just loved it and I have never ever heard anyone ever bring it up in the 23 years since and um, I always feel very fond affection for the film. And uh, I thought this is going to be a real left field choice. But, you know, whenever else am I going to talk about it? So, yeah. I, I've now had, I've added two films to my watch list so far today, which is great. I've done it while you were speaking. And this film on Letterboxd, I always go to the average rating on Letterboxd just to see, because I think it's a good, good kind of like. I bet it's hated. On. No, it's got a straight down the line at three, like three point zero. And is that good or is that okay? Yeah, that's. But, but you know what that is? That's a perfectly solid, perfectly solid. What you're describing type of film. You rarely get a three point zero right on the nose. You always kind of get like a three point two, which is like oh yeah, but it's three point six. And those films are valid. And I tend to really enjoy those kind of films. They're just, they're like 
vanilla ice cream. And vanilla ice cream is a delicious flavor. You are describing, when you're describing that matinee type film, I'm the exact same as you. Give me more matinee. Maybe it's maybe it means we're getting older, Kevin. Maybe that's what I mean. <laughs> I was 19. I'm sitting there I going, like, you can swing it. Go for it. Go for it, man. And then it, it, Will Smith, who probably felt incredibly miscast because he was coming off iRobot and Men in Black and all that kind of stuff. For him to be wearing right. braces and, you know, old grandfathery clothes and going, gee, shucks, mister, right. you can do it. Oh God! There was a, there was um, oh you, uh, I don't want to sidetrack us, but I thought, look, I'm not going to do any fucking research for this. What was the legend of Bagavant's quote that he had? You get busy living, or you get busy dying. Inside each and every one of us is our one true, authentic swing. No, those are not the quotes. There was something like where he would say, "Just see the field, forget everything else. See the field." Mm. You know, it's a film that was very quiet. We just have like that old timey like little music that would segue us and the little chitty chitty bang cars going along and and Charlie Theron in her fine regalia and stuff and she's being very southern and and I just loved it. I just it, it was uh, enchanting. I think it's time. Time for what? Time for you to see the field. The field? Just give me the club. Sorry, I bring it up. Here, you gonna take that hack away? All right, what's the field? Fix your eyes on Bobby Jones. searching for something. Then he finds it. Watch how he settles himself right into the middle of it. Feel that focus. And he got a lot of shots he could choose from. Duffs and tops and skulls. But there's only one shot that's in perfect harmony with the field. One shot that's his. Authentic shot. And that shot is going to choose him. There's a perfect shot out there trying to find each and every one of us. All we got to do is get ourselves out of its way. Let it choose us. Mm, Look at him. He in the field. See that flag as some dragon you got to slay. Get to look with soft eyes. See the place where the tides and the, and the seasons and the turning of the earth all come together. Where everything that is becomes one. You got to seek that place with your soul, Jimmy. Give me two little segues. One was a movie that is you just reminded me of. That's a golf movie that came out recently. The Phantom of the Open, which is a true story. Don't know. Which is one. Oh, oh, dude, you have to watch this. It's a true story about a guy who has a dream and a dream 
a dream which only came to him like one Sunday where he switches on the TV and sees the Open being played, like golf. And he never really thought about golf before. And he just went, and now this is a middle-aged guy. And he goes, I think I could do that. And so he goes to enter into the Open. Is this a, a film or a documentary? It's a film. They fi- they've made a film out of it, but it's a true story. And it's about this guy and his endeavour to play in the Open and him trying to chase a dream because all he ever wanted growing up was a dream, but he never kind of found his dream. And in middle age, he finds a dream, which is to play golf, to play in the Open. Only he's not eligible and not legal to enter the tournament. So he cons his way into the tournament. And it's really entertaining. It's It reminds me of that video game documentary that we watched for the video game episode. King of Kong? King of Kong. Where that mm-hmm. guy, he just wanted to prove that he could be the best at something in life. Yeah. And I just found myself rooting for him because of that. And the weird thing about sports movies is I've never played golf, but there are many sports that I've never played that I don't really even understand the fucking rules. But I end up loving sports movies. There's just something about them that they're the, the films that will always make me cry more than any other film. Mm-hmm. Give me your next one. My next one is a film, yes, that I have been uh, shamed for liking, but I think uh, more people and more people seem to kind of fall into my side of thinking in, in that it's an entertaining film. It came out in 1995, Kevin, so the sweet spot for us. Yeah. It stars someone who has made a lot of sports movies that I enjoy, who was at the peak of his career. It's directed by a buddy of his who, together, they had made a smash hit just a few years previous. And this was a colossal undertaking. It's not basketball, is it? It's Waterworld. The future. The polar ice caps have melted. And the Earth lies beneath a watery grave. Those who survived have adapted to a new world. What did you see out there in the 15 lunars? Such as? An end? An end to all this water? You're asking the wrong person. You weren't there. So what's the word? We trading or not? And the human dream is the search for a mythical place called dry land. It doesn't exist! How can you be sure? Because I sailed farther than most have dreamed. I've never seen it. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. Straight line leading directly, directly to dry land. Dry land is not just our destination, but it is our destiny! Kevin Costner, Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn. Waterworld. You threw me off with sports movies. I suppose Tin Cup and Field of Dreams. Yeah. Yeah, he made a lot of like good, a series of, in recent years anyway, a bunch of fun sports movies. I saw this in the cinema. Same. I saw this. This came out in 95. It was preceded by a lot of press that this film 
had a lot of troubles. It was the most expensive film ever produced at the time. Notoriously, it was one of those films where Kevin Reynolds and Costner fell out, so reportedly Costner directed a a huge chunk of this film. I went into this film really cynical, expecting a mess. And it it was... Did it have bad press before it came out? Yes. Oh yeah, it was. There was already a sneeriness in the air before the film came out. Definitely, it was already a kind of a hmm, Costner. Who does he think he is? Costner kind of found himself on the wrong side of things. But when the fil- when I sat down and watched the film, I had a, a bit, bit of a of fun, fun time. time. First of all, you can see the money on the screen. Yeah, they are out at sea with these incredible sets, and that's where all the money went. Was on those major massive sets yes you can see Dennis Hopper having an absolute blast just eating up the scenery with his eye patch it was pre-abundance of CG-ness so it was so practical I still enjoy to this day watching it for its practical audacity and it's a story which posits like you know oh listen the the, the ice caps have melted the world is now water it's Mad Max on water that's yeah. essentially what it is. And there's not much to be God, derived from it. just kill for that kind of film to come back where it's like, it's an original story written for the screen and they've thrown all the best of the best behind it. You've never met these characters before. You've no idea what's going to happen in the yeah. story. It might feel derivative if you're a Mad Max fan, but other than that, you know, you're just taken on a ride and hopefully these characters win you over to the point where they become your new favourites rather than giving you a version of what you l- love off-screen, on-screen, and feeling like, okay, yeah. arms crossed, how are you going to make this one the better one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, this this was a this was a great time. This was a great time to go to... It opens with Kevin Costner pissing into a jar, it going through a kind of some sort of chemical filtration system. And he drinks it. And it... And he drinks the water that comes out the other end. Um, but I, I, I ultimately, I had a fun time with this film. Anytime I see it, I have a fun time with this film. It wasn't the huge, ultimately the huge financial bomb that it was touted to be. It, it did break even with you know video sales and eventual DVD sales and all that sort of stuff. I, it, it, if you haven't seen it, I'm not saying it's the best film in the world. I'm not saying it's better than. I know dance was this controversial to bring it up. It's not. It's it's not brave character. It's not anything like that. It's just a big bombastic '90s blockbuster movie that fucking swung for the fences, and it's all there on the screen. And I enjoyed the fuck out of that. I really enjoyed all the set pieces. I can imagine the set pieces right now, you know. And that's a good sign. You know, that's a really good sign. So um, that's my number four, Kevin. Can you refresh my memory because? I saw it in the cinema. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you, Will. This is not this is a shame-free zone. Okay, yeah. You love it? That's great. This was one of the very first films I saw in the cinema where I felt bored. It was the first time where I felt like um I think 1995 was the year when my blood was changing. And so stuff like Batman Forever right. and Waterworld, I was slightly like going that is not making the hairs in the back of the neck stand up the way the other films would like like I don't know fucking anything else that I would have seen in the cinema because up till then it would be like just going to the cinema was exciting so I remember yeah. vividly the first half of the film I need to I fell asleep 
or whatever. But I cannot remember <laughs> what happens in the, the third. I do remember that they end up on an island. The, the last That's shot where they like, end up. But does it they all take place within they, a tanker? I remember there was loads of fireballs. They, and they go, yeah, they get captured and taken onto Dennis Hopper's tanker and there's a whole set piece there. They also meet with some sort of piratey kind of like um, untrustworthy character along. It's very episodic in its nature. It's very simplistic in its plotting. But I, I, I think I was always just compelled by the fact that it felt like almost documentary at a time. At, at the time, they were make, you could feel they were making a film out in open water, which they fucking were. And it was and I that I was bright blue, like by that. Caribbean water. Yeah, and you know the way even I can kind of visualize the the, the, the seawater glistening on their skin, like they really were ta- like properly sea tanned. Yeah, and I think I was I enjoyed Dennis Hopper's like his pirate crew and all, all the, the the kind of the, the gas guzzler aspect of them it made no sense but it was just fun to me it was just fun no i agree with you i'm the same it wasn't like it wasn't like my experience i had watching true lies or uh, speed or anything like that in the cinema it wasn't at all on par with that but still it was a fun time for me i was like going yeah kind of glad i watched that it wasn't as bad as everyone said it was going to be you guys are in so much trouble <laughs> Well, I'll be damned. It's the gentleman Guppy. You know, he's like a turd that won't flush. I want the girl. You know, I thought you were stupid, friend. But I underestimated you. You are a total freaking retard. <laughs> You've inspired me to switch out one of my picks for one that I'm just coming up with randomly right now, based on what you were just saying. And uh, right. it's because you mentioned the film and you also mentioned Kevin Costner. Right. The film that I genuinely think is a very good film and I enjoyed it. And I don't know what the reaction to it is other than I just know that a lot of people are quite sneery to it. There's a podcast I listen to and I remember a review that they did on that film and they tore it apart. And I thought, oh, I thought this was a conventionally well-regarded film. But it's from 1992. It was directed by Mick Jackson. It was written by Lawrence Kasdan. It starred Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Oh, the the bodyguard. bodyguard. Frank Farmer to see Miss Marin. What? Alexander Graham Bell to see Miss Marin. All right. Bill said he used to be with the Secret Service. There was two years with Carter, four with Reagan. Reagan got shot. Not on my ship. All my colors for you. You don't look like a bodyguard. This is my disguise. (laughs) Well, his timing's good. Henry, I've spent a lot of time guarding people all over the world, and I found one thing to be true. No matter how incompetent the assassins, no matter how much they miss their target by, there's one person who always gets hit. Who? The cocky black chauffeur. You afraid I might get picked off in my snazzy running suit? No, I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to jog with you. Someone was in my house? <laughs> Wait a minute, someone was in my house? Everybody's afraid of something. That's how we know we care about things. When we're afraid we'll lose it. 
about you, Frank Farmer, out there on the edge. Rachel, I don't want to get confused about what I'm doing here. I'm not confused. You pay me to protect you. That's what I do. Then what is it? I'm afraid of not being there. Oh, Lordy. The bodyguard was like in that era of these sort of women in peril movies. Julia Roberts would be like in yeah. in Sleeping with the Enemy and there'd be like single mm-hmm. white female or the hand that rocks the cradle. There was like, yeah, yeah, these cool, cool in terms of the tone of them, not in terms of the, the feel. But these um, thrillers that were something that your mom would love to watch. Or sit down and watch that. Or she, is she going to knife him with the dirty... Bastards. You know, you can hear, you can hear say, <laughs> God, bastards. bastards. <laughs> Fucking get him. I don't Fucking like an, get him. I don't like an inch of him. Look at him. <laughs> the soundtrack was everywhere. I think it came yeah. out around Christmas time, and the right. song was constantly on the radio when I would go to school. And I saw the film maybe a couple of years later on video, and I just felt that that was a very satisfying romantic thriller in the vein of Ghost. And you know I love Ghost. Mm-hmm. Whitney Houston was a very compelling actress. She wasn't stiff. Kevin Costner was heroic. And and it just felt like a film that really worked. It was grand. It was Hollywood uh, in tone and sort of satisfying. But, you know, I'd never recommend that to people. I'd never go out of my way and say, I love The Bodyguard or The Bodyguard's a great film. So it, it definitely fits my guilty pleasures remit of... You'll think less of me by the end of the episode when I tell you the films I put on here. <laughs> and, and Bodyguard is one of those films that I remember. I was at the I was at the, the right age as well, where I I think I remember like I remember loving Whitney Houston's I, I Will Always Love You was never off the air, and I remember really really wanting to love the Bodyguard, and I just kind of didn't. I just it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. And I was right. I was in the right zone for it as well. Like you know, and what did I don't, work about I don't it? Remember. Do you think it was cheesy yeah. or just fake? Or? I think I think it might have been. I think it might have been, and I might be wrong. Maybe it was the chemistry between himself and Whitney Houston. I don't think I believed the chemistry between them. Oh, I thought they um, were right now around them. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I was sold on it at the time. I don't think I was. But yeah, but listen, and we are not here to cast judgment on each other's picks I am glad you really like that film I don't think it's a bad film just didn't hit me in the feels well I tell you the one that I switched out for it okay actually maybe I might switch around again when would I knock off (laughs) switch back you've got 9 minutes and 17 seconds are you serious we've been talking for an hour (laughs) yeah well 51 minutes I bumped Invasion USA off the list which is a Chuck Norris film Time for dinner. No one thought it could ever happen here. They are an army of international terrorists. America has not been invaded by a foreign enemy in nearly 200 years. Their target, America. Their objective, control. 18 hours from now, 
America will be a different place. Now, only one thing stands in their way. It's time to die. Didn't work, huh? Now it will. They wanted a war. See you in hell. He gave them one. Send me a postcard. Chuck Norris. Invasion USA. Oh, I've never seen this. I've seen the reviews of it and clips of it and the takedowns of it and stuff like that. I've never seen it. Is it it's good? A, it's a, uh, it's. It's very, very enjoyable. I wouldn't say it's good. It's one of the, it's a canon film, and it's in the sweet spot of when Chuck Norris was like a C tier action star, so he could command right. like ooh twenty five million dollar budgets, but you'd never see them in cinemas. They'd go straight to video. Yeah, but it'd be all foreign money, and they spent every bloody penny on screen. It it was just it was relentless action. And when I say every three minutes something incredible happened on screen even though it made no fucking bearing to the story, it just okay. kept happening. There'd be like a montage of destruction where these bandits would turn up. They'd pull up in the street. Somebody's, you know, taking in the, the shopping. They're doing their Christmas tree. And these bandits that have come over the border because, you know, it's all about, you know, the, the Cubans and the Mexicans that are crossing the border. They just open fire yeah. with Kalashnikovs and blow the whole street apart. And you see it all. You see everything. You just, yeah. You I love see- it. <laughs> And there's bazookas flying and there's jeeps flipping over and there's people, you know, blowing up in flames and it's just anarchy. And I had great crack watching it. But um, you feel slightly racist by the end of the film. You feel like, you know, (laughs) I'm not sure whether I should be, you know, rooting for this. But I was pleasantly surprised by how much fun I had with it. If you had like, if you had a lash of cans, then you would probably be in stitches watching it. It's a beer and pizza kind of film. So I swapped it up for Bodyguard. <laughs> can I recommend a double feature with uh, Invasion USA? Go on. And I really think that it's well worth watching the documentary that was made about uh, Golan and Globus's company, Canon Films. Brilliant. Called doc. Electric, Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. A really fun documentary talking about these wild men who made a lot try to I don't know what they were doing it was uh, by the way they made a lot of movies in a very short period of time in the 1980s and they felt uh, like gangsters documentary they just came in and they the the weird thing about their films is the films look cheap but also expensive it was like the the details that you should get right the coverage yeah the the glamour shots the titles the stuff the music that's the stuff where you feel like if you get that right a film can feel um, expensive and they wouldn't get that stuff right but the effects explosions and the, the, the explosions action, it's like fuck me yeah. that must have cost about seven million to pull that off and it's like yeah this film looks like it has a budget of half a million they yeah. put all their focus on bangs big bangs that's what it was so um i'm gonna recommend that a lot i'm gonna watch invasion usa some at some stage kevin at some stage so that's a late night film that's not a matinee film Oh, I was I was going to watch it with the kids. This is my running joke. <laughs> I was going to watch it this weekend. Watching with the kids. I actually think that Luke would probably enjoy it genuinely, because there's not oh, much story okay. there. So it's just like 
watch this guy get blown yeah. up. Yeah, oh, I think he'd love that. He'd yeah. love that. Don't step on any toes. I don't step on toes, little John. I step on necks. My next one is a proper... People kind of go, really? Really? What? And I'm like going, listen, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Just don't give me shit. Just just leave me be. And it came from like an Oscar-winning director of a very hot streak, like prestigious director. In uh, 2003, he got the chance to make a Marvel movie. And his name is Ang Lee. And he made Hulk. Ugh. Right? <laughs> that was I, involuntary I didn't mean to do that <laughs> There's no shaming each other for our picks here Kevin Welcome, Welcome to the f- bits Films are shit Look at you Off to college to be a great scientist Like your father There's something inside you so special Someday you're gonna share it with the whole world Let's hit the gamma radiation. Bruce, I don't understand what I just saw. It's like the gamma released something that was already there. My son is unique. And the world will not tolerate his existence. What did you do to me? I improved on nature a million times more powerful. My God. everything we have to stop his movement. You will only fuel his rage and make him stronger. You know I never hurt you. When you're left with no choice... I'm sending her a surprise visit from some friends of mine. When you're pushed too far... You pathetic freak. Don't just get even. You're making me angry. Get mad. I don't think you're gonna like me when I'm angry. Unleash the hero within. We're gonna have to watch that temper of yours. I kind of like Hulk because I was a big, big, huge fan of Ang Lee. The Ice Storm is up there still. I thought you were gonna say the TV show. No, the Hulk TV show. No. The um the Ice Storm is up there is one of my favorite films. It's in up there in the Superb top film. twenty. Yeah. yeah, I was a complete super fanboy for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Thought that was incredible, and so the idea that he was taking on a superhero movie was in. I was, I was fucking there day one. I saw this in Galway at the cinema. I was there day one. And I said, what is this amazing filmmaker going to do with this property? Um, and no, I'll admit, I wasn't, didn't think it was the greatest film ever. But there were a lot of things about it that I liked. I liked Eric Bana's performance. I liked Jennifer Connelly. I actually met in Cork a girl who was doing Foley on the film. This is mad. Around the time, this the film came out. And she was Jennifer Connelly's scream. She foleyed Jennifer Connolly's screen when she was from Cork. And oh, she was wow. just randomly working, interning in whatever. Ah, hell! Skywalker sound. Ah, hell, leave right. it out. 
I can't remember her name. It was just like a matter of one time. It's like, wow, that's mad. I like the music to that whole yeah. thing. The theme of it was sort of the staccato, like string section. I remember I used to have that on my playlist when I'd be writing. The section that I actually really enjoyed in this film is the section where, and I rewatched it actually in advance of this, where the Hulk properly rages out. We have a, a sequence in the middle of the film where the Hulk is let loose in San Francisco. Well, it's around the kind of a desert area in Nevada and stuff like that. And I kind of think that really holds up, aside from the CG Hulk, right? The CG Hulk doesn't look great. But the way it's composed... He's very green. He's like a he's like an odd color green when you. He's very very green. But he was seeing the Mac Ruffalo Hulk. Uh, yeah, and I know the Hulk in the comic books had we went from gray to kind of green and all that sort of stuff, but I'm talking about like how the like for instance there are shots in it that I find really compelling, like when the Hulk lands out in the in the sand dunes in the desert and he kind of starts tumbling and tripping over himself and falling mm-hmm. down the sand dunes. I really like that. The time he takes on four Abrams tanks. And he shoulders one and rips the... As he's actually even charging at the Abrams, I think the composition of seeing the Hulk running at it is fucking cool as anything and kind of terrifying. And a shot that we haven't seen in any of the Marvel movies, it kind of really grounds it so that when he actually hits the Abrams tanks, you kind of feel it. You feel the weight of this monster when he rips the turret off and uses it as a shield. I feel there's a a tactile nature in the actual Hulk out sequence in the middle of this film that I was really leaning forward watching. I bet that film feels really simple and straightforward though and actually a relief to watch it when you're not burdened down by 15 other superheroes around them and everybody like chipping in with their own side quests and stories and quips and just feeling oh this is straight ahead about a character going through an event and other characters yeah. opposing them, and that's all it is. It's, it's quite straight a straight story. Quite quaint. Yeah. Uh, quite quaint. And him ultimately facing off against Nick, Nick Nolte was, right, okay, it didn't have a very satisfying conclusion. He turns into a storm in, cloud, doesn't he? And he starts like. It was really odd. It was really, really odd. So I think if we actually ended, if, if that film ended with a kind of a ripping Hulk action scene, that mirrored and maybe exceeded what we had in the middle of the film I think that film might be might have held up a lot better instead we ended it ended on a really bad note but I think there was a lot of quality in there before we got we got to that kind of like underwhelming disappointing final note and it's in there in the middle I feel I think it's in there I mean what even were the superhero movies at the time X-Men Blade with Spider-Man Spider-Man was probably oh, out Spider-Man. a year at that stage yeah, yeah. It, was just, it came out the year previous I'm pretty sure but we weren't properly at, at the Marvel the, the Marvel verse hadn't properly kicked off was that, that produced by Gail Ann Hurd that one it was certainly I remember as well he did a lot of was, comic book framing yeah you're right he did yeah oh yeah he used a lot of comic book um, devices or framing like and I think I listen. I'm not, I wasn't a fan of that. But he was just trying to nudge to the fact that this is sprung out of the pages of a comic book. Yeah, I'm going to put it on my list to check it out again. What's your next one? So my next one, it's a film again that I caught when I was working in the video store. It came out in 2001. It's a comedy. 
It's a parody film. It was directed by a guy called Joel Gallen and it was written by Mike Bender and Adam J. Epstein and Andrew Jacobson and a bunch of other, you know, people that would chip in on those things. Not names that you'd think of like, oh, I'm a fan of their stuff. Right. But the cast was fantastic and it was filled with people you'd recognize. But the name that would pop out at you was that it was one of the early starring roles of Chris Evans. Oh. And it was not another teen movie. It's a dream come true. It's the moment you've always been waiting for. Kiss me. Out of the I'm okay. It's not another teen movie. Prepare yourself. Road trip. For a movie that goes where every other teen movie has gone before. I heard there's an undercover reporter posing as a high school student. Uh, do either of you know where Mr. Keller's English class is? Only further. We saw you at our practice and I know you stole our routine. We've always done our own cheers. Well, then you better bring it. Oh, it's already been brought. We're black. We know it. We shake our big booties and show it. Can I get a whoop whoop? Columbia Pictures proudly presents <laughs> the popular jock. Tip. You can keep it. Melanie. Hey, Jake. Hey, Arthur. The token black guy. I'm just supposed to smile, stay out of the conversation, and say things like, damn, bling, bling. And that is whack. And the cruelest girl in school. I've never even been kissed. Close your eyes and wet your lips. Are you for real? Oh, that is whack. This Christmas, if you like scary movies, who gives a damn? Damn. Not another teen movie. What in God's name's going on in here? We were just sitting here. I don't want to hear it, mister. You just bought yourself another detention. That's not fair. You just got another. Good. You through? No. That's another one. So? You just say the word, I'll keep going. Go! Eeny, meeny, miny. Mo. Your cousin was a... Ho. He was a famous clown. Bobo. I confused. Shut your hole, Wang Chung. Oh, okay. Now, Not right. Another Team Movie was... Uh, it was coming on the heels of, like, Scary Movie, which was, like, a huge hit. I think Scary Movie okay. was... Almost a bigger hit than Scream. Yeah, it was. You're right. And that, of course, sort of spawned these terrible dog shit spoofs like Date Movie and Epic Movie and all these kind of terrible, terrible parodies. But Not Another Teen Movie was genuinely hilarious. It was uh, a comedy that was riffing on the teen movies that were happening at the time, you know, the ones that were filled with like the Dawson's Creek cast and stuff. Uh, you'd have like Cruel Intentions or American Pie or the Freddie Prince Jr. film, She's All That and stuff. And it was lampooning those films, Bring It On, that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah. it was crude and vulgar and the, all the characters were stock characters based upon the iconography of those films, but they were all mm -hmm. imbeciles. It's one of those spoof films, like Naked Gun, that is so imbecilically silly 
that I just crack up and it's very Randy Quaid is in there as one of the dads of um, the, the nerdy girl who if she takes off her glasses she's a bombshell but when she puts on the glasses oh, yeah. everybody thinks she's disgusting they've got music isn't numbers. there actually I think I've seen a clip from this where they're all like you know daring each other says, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one girl to date here yeah and everyone's it's going by it's genuinely ugly and they're like going no 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 that's that's an easy one she's going to be beautiful and everyone they're picking is genuinely ugly until they get the really beautiful woman who's wearing glasses and they all go what about her it's like oh my god she's disgusting i know exactly Kyler Lee. Yeah, yeah the cast they are so bloody brilliant and funny and it's very hard to be funny in a spoof film we were just talking about recently about how hard it is to play stupid on screen and that mm-hmm. you you almost have to be childlike and I think that that's what works best for these spoof films. I used to put that on regularly on in the video shop when nobody would be coming in because if they saw that on with all the crude, vulgar and sex jokes, I'd probably get uh, reprimanded. But it used to crack me up and nobody else saw it because I think they were all burnt out on the shitty spoof movies. And right. Chris Evans wasn't a star back then. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just one that has been completely forgotten it's lampooning films that have also been forgotten, but it was very, 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 very funny. It's gonna happen, 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 at the Another one that I'm adding to my watch list. I think I've seen. I, I was working. We we're both working in the video shop around the same time. I think it's one of those DVDs that we that was I saw it. the cover is so familiar to me that was just floating on shelves coming in and out and all that sort of stuff but I don't think I ever watched it from beginning to end I've seen clips I think that's about all it's fine Kevin m- my pick is kind of in the same genre as yours not quite but in that same era right okay and it it might be the type of film that is, is almost like a parody, but it's not taking a spoof out of anything. Um, it's a film that I actually have a very a great fondness for it because it's one of those films that myself and Karen, my wife, saw in the cinema in the early days of us going out. And we both laughed like drains watching it, knowing that this wasn't a very good film, but it worked for us in the moment. And we've seen it together a few times since, and we've both laughed like drains watching it. And now as years have gone by it might there are certain aspects of it that feel a little bit icky but I still kind of find it funny directed by someone called Roger Cumble was written by Adam Tex Davis so <laughs> n- name ringing a bell it stars Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart Anna Faris Chris Klein from American Pie it is just friends <laughs> God I love my life you're awesome those are awesome <laughs> Music producer Chris Brander has it all. I saw you flirting with me out there. How did you do that to your boyfriend? We were just friends. But in high school, things were a little different. You mean more to me than anyone in this whole world. Really? I love you, Chris. Like a brother. We're friends, right? Shut up! Just leave him alone! Oh my god! Ten years later, touring with the world's hottest pop star... God, I'm gonna lick your skin off. ...will take him home for the holidays. Hi, Mom. <laughs> this is my brother, Mike. You're hot. 
I know, I know. <laughs> now, when he sees the girl he never forgot, Jamie, he's going to get a second chance. Oh my God, I can put my arms around you. <laughs> to win his first love. Wow, Chris. Jamie Palomino. New Line Cinema presents... You're not the same person I was in high school, pal. You'll always be fat to me, Chris. Ah! Ryan Reynolds, Amy Smart, Anna Ferris, and Chris Klein. How'd the big date go? It was terrible. I went in for a kiss, but she wants a hug. Then I get caught in a sort of kiss-hug limbo type thing. You gave her a body shake? <laughs> Just friends. Hey, hey, Merry Christmas, neighbor. never seen them. Okay, Just Friends is one of those films that a lot of people hate as proved by the average letterbox rating of 2.6, okay? It starts off in 1995 with Ryan Reynolds in a fat suit and he's a really, he's a simp, he adores his best friend, he's in love with his best friend Amy Smart but it's this unrequited love because she's going out with the hot, the, the, the cool jock at the time. And the film opens on their final night of high school where everyone's signing their yearbooks. And he's, he's singing, I swear to himself in the oh, mirror God. while like, you know, writing, writing, he's opening his heart into Jamie's uh, diary or, or yearbook, telling her that he, he truly loves her. He secretly loved her all this time. And that night goes from bad to worse, where he is humiliated and humiliated and humiliated. We cut forward about 10 years, where he is now slims down. He's become an agent, a music agent. He is in Hollywood. He's a huge success. He's He's got this hot client, but who, who is played by Anna Faris, who's also insane and sex mad. So that's obviously <laughs> already devious. But, but it's played by Anna Faris, who is very funny he's she's over the top she's very 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 funny she's a brilliant actress yeah ryan reynolds hasn't gone home in 10 years but this year he is forced to go home for christmas and he has to drag along anna faris with him and he is has to confront his past he's annoying younger brother who immediately completely disarms him. The scenes between him and his younger brother are brilliant because all of the coolness he has just is just dropped because they start punching each other and fight, like physically really tearing into each other and spitting into each other's mouths and shit like that. Like, it's really funny. <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds is taken back to his world and he's, he's now going back like he's driving a Porsche and he's really cool and all this sort of stuff. But all of that just starts to fucking be, it, it just starts to fall asunder as he's, you know, meets Amy again and all this sort of stuff. I think it's a fun film. Myself and Karen laugh every time we watch it. And uh, I'd like to watch it again this Christmas. I think maybe give it a go. I think maybe give this film a go. What? You said detainer! You said detained! When Ryan Reynolds is on form, he can be great. Yeah, yeah. But by God, if he just overeggs it too much, he can become so grating. Yeah, I'm recommending that one. What about you? What's your next one, Kevin? 
My next one is a film that I saw in LA, my friend's house, where he had a big projector that overlooked Hollywood, and it was such a glamorous setting. You know, stars are twinkling and the, the buildings are twinkling. And the film itself was kind of fucking insane that I didn't know that what I was watching was intentionally funny. Mm. I remember people that were watching it with us thought that the film was atrocious. But then I was really enjoying it. And I thought, I I kind of, was that a good film? I think that was a good film. I kind of liked that. Then I revisited it and I thought it was a brilliant film, like masterfully made, so, so funny. And, um, really fucking charming and it came out in 1985 it's directed by a black exploitation director it stars nobody you really know except for one okay. person vanity but it's from 1985 and it's called the last dragon a martial arts champion in search of the glow master i need more time i am no longer your master a rock and roll star on the rise i know what it's like to lose precious things a madman. Shogun of Harlem. A maniac. Are you going to put my video on your show, aren't you? The answer is no. And the glamour, the power, and the sound of Motown. I don't want you to kill anybody. Are you out of your mind? The Leroy Green I'm looking for is a little pop. Thinks he's a kung fu master. I am no master. You sure look like a master to me. This is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. It's about the power of the glow. Timok. Vanity. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, directed by Michael Schultz, a Motown Productions picture from TriStar. I've not even heard of this. It's kind of like a spoof on the Bruce Lee films like Enter the Dragon. This guy is obsessed with kung fu films. He's a black guy from the streets of LA and he becomes, through training, The Last Dragon, this mythical, you know, kung fu guy who can clean up the streets and he can save his friends from jeopardy and it's a bawdy sort of street level crime film that is a parody film almost and it's really well made it's like it's got a budget behind it it's not a throwaway crappy film it's no looking back as we would say often on, on the podcast being taken to a time and a place that doesn't exist anymore and seeing it you know you're on the streets you're in these sets you people are wearing these costumes it's got a great soundtrack it's a party film it's one of those films like return of the living dead or little shop of horrors or something stone cold Yes, but it's it's more deliberately intentionally funny, where Stone Cold felt unintentionally funny at times. Yeah, okay, I get you. But it's a film that nobody has I'm looking at, ever talked to me about. I'm I'm literally I, as you brought it up, I I put the trailer on in silently here in the background, and it looks like a lot of fun. Even just looking at it, it genuinely is great crack. Like if you've not heard of it, if you've not seen it, at least try a trailer. You'll get a sense of it. Do you remember? I'm going to get you, sucker. Oh, I do. I, I enjoy that. It's like in that vein, but it's actually better made than that film. That film feels, feels oh, quite wow. bulky, you know, if you go back to it. But uh, very, very charming, very, very fun. Great crack. It's one of those films to describe as winning. Michael Schultz, the director of it, went on to direct a 
bunch of those young Indiana Jones adventures episodes. He started, I think his biggest film prior to that was Car Wash. But after that, he went and did um, yeah. tons of TV. I mean, he's still working. Wow. This is, and he's worked with Grease Light. He's worked with, uh, yeah, worked with Richard Pryor uh, a bunch. Oh, that looks really... I'm, I'm, I love... Disco- this is why I love doing the podcast. I love discovering new filmmakers, new films, and just having an excuse to go and, and, uh, and watch something I'd never even heard of before. And The Last Dragon is one of those... It's a perfect title for me. I think you'll enjoy this one. I'd find it hard to imagine you're not liking it. I don't even know if anybody oh. in the Discord has, uh, has spoken about it or seen it. It's great crack. Never, ever heard of it. Cooley High, another film he's directed. I've definitely heard of it and I've watched Car Wash, of course. But, um, great. Okay. I'm looking I'm here I'm on my phone because, listen, I did zero research. I thought I was just going to just wing this through the basic minimum. That was going to be my take on this episode. It made 33 million at the box office, but I bet you that was the black audience, you know, in the underground yeah. theatres. Uh-huh. Because yeah. this wasn't a very mainstream film, I wouldn't have imagined so. But yeah, watch yeah. it. It's yeah, that's really good. Good fun. Brings me to my main guilty pleasure, right? Listen, I've not done mine in order, so my main one is sort of like uh, the one that I've not spoken about yet, and that's all it is. <laughs> okay, well, mine is one I did, I kind of just had a reason for putting it as my main one. And I just went, you know what, put that one there, because I'll never get a chance in the podcast to discuss this film or this series of films ever again. It's definitely... I would definitely categorize this my pick, which is actually four films, I'm picking four films as one, right? As good films, right? But Wait, no, when it, I was it, young... Let me guess this. Are these right. four films as in they're the only four films? Like no, in the franchise? They're four, and no, more? they're not the whole franchise. They're specific four out of a franchise of films. Okay, okay, okay. But this is definitely a franchise of films, right? Okay. Um, they came out in the 80s and when I was young these films whenever a new one was released on video it was an excitement and delight for the entire family when one of these films was came into the house it was like oh a new one is out oh how cool let's watch it and I watched these films over and over and over again whenever like someone rented them he's like oh you got that one okay let's watch that it's good these I think films, I can I, I think I can guess that this is these films are basically don't these films are basically like comic books silly beano comic book movies um because the characters are paper thin it they're just silly juvenile but as a kid i found them so much funny and when they're on tv now i now still find them bad but i i'm so fond of the characters that i will watch them you know from beginning to end it's American films. American films. Okay. I'm talking about Police Academy. I knew you were going to say Police Academy. to four. <laughs> one to four, specifically. <laughs> the Gutenberg films. One to four. The Gutenberg era. When Gutenberg leaves, my heart is gone. Gutenberg was there. Lock your doors. Activate the dog. Stand up the man. Stretch the wire. Because they've taken to the streets. They're the graduates of Police Academy. Turned loose on their first assignment. You gotta build a trust between you and the people. And they'll respect you. They're armed. 
Now look, I'm serious. And they're dangerous. Mahoney. You have the right to sing the blues. You have the right to cable TV. It's a nice piece. Tackleberry. I was referring to your sidearm. Hightower. Yo! Yo? Yo, sir! Jones. <laughs> Hooks. Oh, oh, back. Captain Lazard. Commandant Lazard. <laughs> and the lovable Lieutenant Mauser. That's Captain Mauser. Last year, they were in training. Time to deploy for school. I'll go when I'm ready. You're ready now, mister. <laughs> this year, they're in charge. Police Academy, their first assignment. Listen, I think these films are so charming. They came out in an era where films like Porky's and stuff like that, where it was all, they were like sexy, rompy comedies were coming yeah. out. And this film wasn't as sexy as all of them. In fact, the filmmaker, I think it was his name, his name was uh, Michael Wilson, I think his name was. He actually, oh, Hugh Wilson was his name. He specifically not the Bond in the first film, tri- no, no, tried to pull back on a lot of that raunchiness. He just kind of felt it was, you know, just it, it, it was, it wasn't right. Um, and I think it was a right choice because what we end up with is a collection of goofballs who have one specific trait as their character, like one person, squeaky voice is is the cool, yeah, the squeaky voice girl. There's crazy maniac Zed guy there's the gun nut Tackleberry there's the really tall strong guy Hightower there's of course my favourite character sound effects guy um, Jones listen to me watching those movies for me were a delight there was a formula to them where you have these goofballs who shouldn't be in the police are in the police and at the end of each of these films they actually have to go out and do the proper police jobbing against real criminals. And I kind of loved that moment where these goofballs, their powers kind of work. Unite, yeah. And they manage to save the day in their own goofy ways. Like, I, I loved it when Jones used to do, like, the, the fake dubbed over samurai or a karate guy where he would like put on the the bandana over his head and do the fake, you know, sound over guy voice. Um, I just think these films were so much fun. I think Stephen Gutenberg actually was a great leading man for these films because he was just, he kind of has this wonderful, charming smile about him. And you just feel like, ah, this is all just a load of shit, isn't it? And you go, yeah, Steve, let's do some more. He was Um, like a more smart, alecky version of Tom Hanks in that he was, yes, he was, there was a glint in his eye, a glimmer in his eye. Yeah. And then in the second film, the main villain was Zed, played by Bobcat Goldthwait and he was like the leader of this gang of punks who were out there ruining the city and that was the one where they were on their first assignment and they, they ended that movie they took him down I've got that I've forgotten that yeah because I remember him being a, a but he ends up in the third film he ends up joining the academy That's in the right. third film yeah he becomes and one of the recruits <laughs> they train and he's like a, a nervous what's... wreck <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love him I loved his voice I love that you know and in the second film, like, he's a sinister character. He's a sinister dude. <laughs> Even he has this lair and... He, oh, and there's so many silly, goofy things in this film, in this series of films, that I know are dumb and juvenile. But listen, they're, they're, they, they brought me a great deal of pleasure when I was growing up. And to this day, when I watch them, I'm taken back to, you know, uh, you know home 
and uh, the lads coming in with a new video, Police Academy videotape. And all of us, I remember us specifically putting on Police Academy 4, watching it all the way to the end, seeing Tony Hawk skating down over the credits and all these scare pals. As soon as it finished, we pressed stop, we hit rewind, rewind and, and watched it again. again. Yeah. We watched it again. So our whole house was, we were unified in the rare times when a Police Academy tape entered the house. Was, and I was the fourth one my favorite. where he he flew off in a hot air balloon with Kim Cattrall? Yeah, not Kim Cattrall, I think Sharon Stone. I think it was Kim Cattrall. She was the first, she was in the, she was in the first one. I was it Sharon Stone then? Sharon Stone was in the oh. fourth one. So he goes off in a hot air balloon with Sharon Stone. What a yeah. brilliant way to exit a franchise. Fly off in yeah, a hot air balloon uh, with a bombshell. Yeah. And then two really, really poor sequels followed. And I just, I'm not mentioning them. They don't deserve to be brought up. What do you think of Mission to Moscow? I'm not discussing it. <laughs> I know it's got Ron Perlman. But as much as I love those first four movies, those other two ones just were dead ducks. See, I wouldn't have seen those films in order. They would have been like watching Police Academy 3, then going watching Police Academy 5, then watching Police Academy 2. Would be Same. What would be available in the video shop because I would have come to them maybe a couple of years after you. They were just those great, like the, the all the adults have gone to the pub and me and the cousins would like, we'd pick our films, we'd sit down, we'd watch them and um, we would just get high on, on sweets and ice cream and watching slightly yeah. too raunchy films for eight and nine year olds but we'd have yeah. a ball watching them. And yeah, a yeah. Beano reference is a great reference for them because they are almost like, they're almost like uh, trading card characters. It's just, they've yeah. got one attribute and that's everything that's you it. know about them. That's all, they, that's all they are. That's all they ever are. Squeaky voice. And then, she, and then when she needs it, her superpower is that she's got this really loud, authoritative voice and she only <laughs> brings it out in the final act, just at the right time. It's great stuff. I... I feel like watching the first one. Please That's a lot better. So I'm going to go for my last pick with a film that I'm sure you've seen that came out in 1991 and it was a flop. It almost ended the career of the leading man. It was mm-hmm. a film that I, you know, in that era, I wasn't paying attention to the new surrounding films. So films were just what they were. And up until, as I said, 1995, every film was fantastic. No matter what it was, it could be Mannequin on the Move. I'd be like, that's a great film. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I came to this film a couple of years after all the bad buzz and the terrible reviews and the sort of disowning of the film by the stars and people that were involved in it. And I thought, what are people on about? This is like Ishtar to me. This is a film that is very, very funny and charming and entertaining. And what more do you want from a film? But people hated it at the time. I don't know if it's been revalued since then, but it starred Bruce Willis, Andy McDowell, Danny Aiello, and it was Hudson Hawk. Ah. Oh. oh, I hate when this happens. Girls, can I ask you a question? How do I look? Like a fraternity thing? <laughs> I just got out of jail yesterday. I didn't want to steal anything. I didn't want to go to Europe. All I wanted was a cappuccino. You still think you're the greatest cat burglar that's ever lived? You are one hell of a thief. Hudson Hawk is an evil, evil man. 
the Big E. I'm just some guy that's good at swiping stuff. Eddie, we're hanging off a castle in the middle of Italy, and you're asking me how you look? Okay, okay, you don't gotta get tacky about it. You look gorgeous, you look like Zorro. Well, I didn't know. Buongiorno. Yeah, buongiorno. Maybe you could help me. I'm being blackmailed into robbing the Vatican by a psychotic American corporation and the CIA. I don't, uh... <laughs> you don't speak English? You have very beautiful eyes for a man. I got a bad feeling. I can't even swim. Hell, I'll probably kill you. Da-da, da Oh, I was afraid you weren't going to drop by. You want to know something, Eddie? What? You hit like a girl! You started the week by stealing the sports up and ended by swiping the codex. Yeah, but what are your plans for the weekend? Hosting away the Coliseum? Can't we just go back to the kissing part? Life doesn't get much better than this. I like Hudson Hawk. I like Hudson Hawk too, and I'll tell you why. I remember, and this is odd because I cannot remember how I got into it, but I used to love the show Moonlighting. Moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd. It was so. Um, it, it felt cinematic. It felt clever and witty, and it had this Preston Sturgis kind of dialogue. It was like quick wit and rat a tat tat. And the format would change each week, and they could have like crazy plot lines where they would go down an alley and suddenly they've gone back in time and they would just be acting like malls and gangsters. And it, it didn't matter. It was just all about this almost movie of the week type caper that they would get involved in and that energy that Bruce Willis had in that show was carried over into Hudson Hawk which felt like almost a sequel to those episodes in that series rather than it being Last Boy Scout or Die Hard 2 or whatever else he was putting out at the time this felt like more of the playful goofy have-a-go hero type protagonist that I think Bruce Willis did brilliantly back then that nobody else could really do besides him you couldn't imagine Sly or Arnie or Kurt Russell or Val Kilmer or anybody else maybe Val Kilmer kind of slightly but could get away with that huckstery duck and dive type of protagonist and the film just felt like great crack for everybody making it and for me watching it I just thought it was brilliant and the action scenes were so much fun It, it almost felt like a swashbuckler mixed in with a gangster film mixed in with a Saturday Night Live type movie the sequence where where Bruce and Danny Aiello Danny Aiello Danny Aiello start pulling off the heist job swinging on a star and they're both they're both they've coordinated the job to the the song swinging on a star and it is exactly as you described it it's ludicrous it's absolutely ludicrous but that can be so joy filled at times charming and joyful Absolutely. And uh, when I think of Hudson Hawk, I think of Swinging on a Star and I go, what a mad little idea. What a lovely, lovely, fun, delightful scene that is. I know we end up with a flying machine in Italy or something like that. Da Vinci's flying machine or something like that. 
But it's castles. I, 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 I like that film. I think that film was. It, it it was a good film. What tends to take a film from I just like it into I love it is if I can imagine reading the script would be as entertaining as the film itself. And for me, mm-hmm. the sort of the audacious and irreverent, clever ideas that are happening within the script tend to win me over where it's like I would have loved to have written that and I'm loving what I'm seeing and I know that it's like all over the place and I don't know if people came away from it thinking that it was like a, a movie star run amok and a vanity piece but I just remember just the, even the action scenes there was that great chase scene in the back of an ambulance and people yeah. like you know falling at the back and suddenly overtaking cars and stuff and it's like that's fun it's, it's almost like um kids playing with the toys kind of fun and you're talking about like I, I, I feel I'm kind of having like, this kind of remorse about uh, at the moment he was such a great comedic actor and he bridged two, these two genres of comedy and action but he was all, not just even a comedian he was such a great fucking actor when he, when he was on he form was. Uh, he has so many like if you were to line up five star classics in his back catalogue he's probably got yeah. the best hit rate of many yeah. stars yeah like you can go down through you're going to easily have he's got about 20 crackers yeah definitely 20 cracking films but what I loved particularly about Bruce Willis and it's kind of gone it's movie stars that feel working class and Mm, I loved that about Bruce Willis is that you could imagine him driving a taxi he just felt like a relatable movie star if if those two things can exist yeah Mm. and like the pedigree of the filmmakers behind the the film as well was really good. Like Michael Michael Lehman, who had made Heather's up to that point, but also it was written by which is a banger. Yeah, well, Bruce Willis has a writing credit on it, but also Stephen D. E. De Souza, who co-wrote one of the writers of Die Hard, Daniel Waters, who co-wrote uh, Heather's as well. So like people who know how to make a good. But I think you can feel that film. in the film where there's like um, there's a patchwork kind of vibe to it mm. but you know yeah. what I didn't spend the money on the film I'm just enjoying the spectacle and I'm enjoying the the, the anarchy on screen and mm-hmm. for me Hudson Hawk is one of those films that has been discarded too quickly and uh, it should be reappraised so a guilty pleasure it's maybe not one that I'm embarrassed to admit that I like but it's one that I felt like I'm not really going to talk about that in a future episode I don't think so I may as well bring it up no I love that I've added five films to my watch list this evening. Enthusiastic, enthusiastic ads to my watch list. You could be swinging on a <laughs> This has felt like a palate cleanser of an episode for me. It hasn't felt like a main show episode. It's felt like one of our mini bits. I, I don't know. It's in a good way. In a good way. In a good way. It's its own thing. Listen, I want to say thank you to Lara for recommending this topic. It was not in our wheel. I don't know why we didn't think of that. Maybe because we were trying to think of scenes and this is not really a scene type topic. But yeah, great topic. I really enjoyed hearing what your picks were. So the next episode for you is one where we don't have to spin the wheel, as I said earlier on, because the patrons picked it. We'll get into more about what the alternative options were, but the one that you're doing next week is... Best MacGuffin scene, I swear to Christ. You got it wrong. I've erased it. You got it wrong. What's what's my next one? It's best MacGuffin, not scene. How can you do a scene on a MacGuffin? 
that's how I structured my research and actually picking scenes. We've already recorded the episodes. Did we? Did we do scenes? I, <laughs> I did. Did you? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. Oh my god! Maybe I that was why my side of the episode was so messy. <laughs> I I went and I went and I went. Okay, this is my best MacGuffin. Well, how can I? How, what's a good scene that can, that is kind of involved in that film that involves the MacGuffin? Um, so that's kind of how I how I did it. So yes, we have it in the can. There was a moment where I completely forgot what the topic was, and it's because I've kind of erased it now that we've recorded. It kind of just went, I just went whoosh. It's kind of gone out of my head. I know I'm just editing it. That's Guilty Pleasures in the bag. I really enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. for listening. Please, if you enjoy this podcast, we can use all the help we can get and you can help us by giving us a five-star rating or review on your podcast app of choice, telling your friends to listen to us, get the word out. We're not able to like promote ourselves. Yeah. Social media is gone. So there's no, that. that's exactly it. Now, whatever we had before, now any way of self-promotion has just disappeared so it's kind of me standing out in the road with a sign saying this is the best bits podcast and i've got, i think we got a new sheep listeners kevin a new she- a few sheep listeners that's all i'm going to take a bunch of our best bits cards the ones that have our logo and a little qr code on it and i'm going to start dropping yeah. them all over the streets as i'm out walking and somebody's going to pick them up look at it and think what's that sign in and uh, say yeah call the police and say that person's been littering oh god very good I enjoyed this great talk to you Will we'll be back for the next episode yeah doing best MacGuffins aka plot devices scenes scenes scenes, scenes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see episode. about that chat to you later talk to you later <laughs>honey how are you oh you know i've got this i've got my corn sorted out i went to the shop this the other day and uh she Your said corn uh, my corns did you ever get, did you ever get corns no. did you know what a corn is yeah it's a bunion on your foot isn't it yeah like in between your toes and stuff like that do you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house you walk no, barefoot? I, I, I wear no it's the opposite GA shorts it's the opposite i wear incredibly tight shoes like those chinese women
oh, who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a mini bits episode where we get people disgusted. <laughs> Squally, it's episode 73 of the mini bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode. And then every so often, it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode. And yeah. I'm like, what did we, how did we say it? What did we say on that episode that's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes? Maybe it didn't sound as desperate. Maybe we said, don't join. Maybe reverse psychology. That's how we should do it. Reverse psychology. Don't join up to our patron. Don't. <laughs> cancel. You don't des- Everybody cancel. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We, don't, we don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people? We, we did, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I, how do you think I did? I, I, I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across, but you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with, did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure they're, they're profiled in the Guardian as well. Yeah. But we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're, 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 you're an OG. Bust. You're an OG <laughs> listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those are my Prince Albert. <laughs> Your hat? <laughs> yeah. I Speaking of, of the, which. I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glints. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> Speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of? Which? Start the time. Oh. I forgot. You may as well. Because the timer. They, all, all these lucky losers are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after Yeah, we, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. We are okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure, it doesn't really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay, okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So, um, I'm Well, the Joker 2 trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes, I watched that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, look, hey. Listen, uh, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was kind of a bold new direction. 
Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show, the Joker episodes. Oh, yeah, that's going to be... Just to fill me in, like, on the lore. Get up to speed. Get you right up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be there going, where where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Where where are they going to show up? And, like, you know... It's a weird time, though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which is its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like it's this, just everywhere. What, well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world has very much entered the, the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors and there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff oh oh this is the thing insane. Kevin so I'm only catching up on this you mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast what was it on one of those uh, it was the last show? it was the last mini bits uh, I you, think. S- you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently and have you started noticing it though only 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 with people trying to raise you that's the only type only where, place where I've noticed people no, people have just trying to every, raise you oh my god oh my god I could start posting now like um, tweets, comments, TikToks, uh, articles, anything. Insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. Okay. I was like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay. <laughs> it's just, it's it's everywhere. And the other th- do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly whatever. It would just, they're morons. But no, I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word. A-L-O-T, a lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, (laughs) but I can't get it right. It's like the eye. Because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you it's a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I the have timer, like, I have a whole it's, fucking. It's... I have a whole soundboard. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's my fucking? What? Where's my ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right. 